You're listening to the Grace Church Podcast, a weekly podcast dedicated to bringing you biblical guidance to life's most important issues. We want to thank you for joining us for this week's message. We pray you find strength and encouragement as we learn from God's truth together. For more information, go to visitgracechurch.com. Hey guys, we're starting a brand new series of this week, five weeks with the life of Joseph from the book of Genesis. So if you want to join me there, we're going to be there in Genesis 27 in just a moment. But we're very excited because this applies to you, whether you're a student at our Olathe campus, one of our young Marys at North Northern Park, maybe you're a young adult in the venue at our South Northern Park or you're online. Uh, this is incredibly important. And so we're going to see throughout the series how the life of Joseph applies to us on three levels. Like this is the, how you interpret the Bible on three levels. Joseph's life foreshadowed Jesus and helps us today. These are the three levels that we interpret scripture. You can interpret scripture. First of all, historically, there's a real man, real man named Joseph. You can read his life in one sitting, uh, Genesis 30 through 50, like 21 chapters. You can read about his life historically, face some unique challenges. But on another level, Joseph's life foreshadowed Jesus. He is one of a couple dozen characters in the Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible, that their lives were like living prophetic pictures, living prophecies of who Jesus would be someday. And nobody more than Joseph. I mean, even down to being sold for pieces of silver. Jesus was sold for pieces of silver. We can learn about Jesus when we study Joseph's life. On another level, though, Yes, historically, his life is amazing. Yes, we can learn about Jesus, and his life can help us today. Like, we can see how this ancient story from the book of Genesis applies to us in our lives today. And so, a great one-line summary, like, who was Joseph? A one-line summary comes from a man named Stephen preaching a message. Here's his one-liner about Joseph in Acts chapter 7, verse 9. He says about Joseph, but God was with him. And delivered him out of all his troubles. But God was with him and delivered him out of all his troubles. So that's that's the one line about Joseph's life. He faced a lot of troubles. We're calling this series Roadblocks. Based on this concept that he faced a variety of challenges, roadblocks, troubles in his life. That would stop certain people, or some of us, in our relationship with Christ. They can either, those roadblocks, those troubles can stop you or they can refine you. They can help draw you closer to God. And so here's some of the roadblocks we'll face in the coming weeks. Trauma, depression, unforgiveness, fear, like legitimate roadblocks in our lives that can grow us or restrict our, our relationship with Christ. But, but God was with him the entire time God was with him in those troubles and delivered him out of those troubles. And notice that God protects us all the time, by the way. He protects you. He's like a parent. God's like a parent following a child around, teetering on the brink of disaster. He delivers you far more than you realize. Just like a child has no idea of the protection, but he does not protect us from every trouble. Instead, he's present with us in our troubles. He's present with us and then delivers us through that. By the way, on this, this, this kind of one liner represents both Joseph, Jesus, and our lives if you have Christ as Savior. God was with Joseph and delivered him from all his troubles. But guess what? 2,000 years ago, God was with Jesus and delivered him from all his troubles. And if you have Christ as Savior, guess what? It's a promise. God is with you and will deliver you in, be present with you in your troubles and deliver you through those troubles. And so that's our topic. Today's 
roadblock is the start of Joseph's life. We're going to talk about family of origin, family of origin. And uh, whoever raised you, however raised you, has a huge impact on how you view yourself, how you view others, and, and most importantly today, how you view God, think about God, relate to God. Here's the question. Could it be that your family of origin, your mom, your dad, whoever raised you, is impacting both in healthy ways and unhealthy ways, how you think about God, how you view God, how you relate to God to this day. We're looking at Joseph's family of origin today. And so let's go ahead and pray and we'll we'll dive in. God, I pray as we begin looking at Joseph's life, um, help us to just be mindful that, I mean, the Bible's so deep that we can see his life, his amazing challenges, his troubles, his roadblocks, but on another level, Help us never forget, we can see a picture of Jesus Christ. The reason we gather the king of the universe, our savior who faced a unique set of troubles for us. And on another level, we can apply his life to our life and see how we can grow in our relationship with you. So help us to see uh, throughout this series, roadblocks, the troubles, that God, for those who have Christ as savior, you are with us in You're present with us in our troubles we face. And you use it for your glory, your honor, for our good, and deliver us. God, we pray this. Pray for those who don't have Christ as Savior. Today would be the day they'd realize, wow, this is the day I need to receive you as Lord and Savior of my life. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. All right, let's talk about family of origin a bit more. I have a story I heard from a friend of mine named Pam Turner in our church. And uh, she's awesome. I said, would you please write that story down? That'd be perfect for this week. So here's her story. She said she was raised in a working class family. She's a stay-at-home mom. Uh, she, was, she was raised by a stay-at-home mom with five kids. Didn't have a lot of means. She actually said, she wrote, I remember many meals of bologna sandwiches and salad. And mom's salad was always lettuce with Italian dressing. That's it. And when funds allowed, there'd be tomatoes in the salad. And so Pam, as she was in high school, worked with a a counselor, guidance counselor, got some scholarships and grants so she could attend college. And she was warned by the counselor, like every student in the world, when you leave your family of origin, go to college or go to the military, go wherever you're going to go, you're going to face some cultural adjustments. And so her first meal in the dorm, she met her new roommate, great roommate, she, her first meal was a salad. And she looked at the salad and she says, what is this? And she didn't recognize it. And her roommate said, well, that's romaine lettuce. And so romaine lettuce is that dark green, kind of dark stalk. She'd never seen that kind of lettuce. She's like, that isn't salad. And so uh, she went off in classic Pam Turner uh, style. She went off to the university library. Because that's before the days. You can just whip out your phone and search types of lettuce. You had to go to the card stock, use the, what's called the Dewey Decimal System and track down a book on lettuce or find the encyclopedia. Where is that? So she found her, her mom was serving her iceberg lettuce. Iceberg lettuce is kind of this round head, a much lighter iceberg lettuce, looks a bit different. She realized all these years, this, this is a perfect picture of family of origin because Family of origin is this set of beliefs and practices that you're not trained and taught. You just inherit. And you think that's the way the world is. 
By the way, she swore after going, finding out iceberg lettuce, I will never eat iceberg lettuce again. She never has. (laughs) Family of origin. So I got two thoughts today related to family of origin in our relationship to God. So one's great news and one's kind of a mixture of, of good and bad news. Here's great news. God is better than the best parent you can possibly imagine. That's who God is. He's better. He's better. By the way, somewhere in the world is the best parent. I don't know where they're at. I know it's not me. Somewhere in the world is the best parent. They're they're the most loving, the most protective, but the most freeing, the most equipping, the most long-ranging, the most calm, the most engaged, the most listening parent in the world. Just imagine the most amazing parent you can imagine. Most loving. Most long-range thinking. Most calm, but most freedom allowing as they grow. God is better than what you're picturing. He is better than the best parent you can possibly imagine. That's great news. I got good and bad news now. Here's the deal. We naturally assume, as human beings, we naturally assume that God is like our parents. Or God is like our dad. It's the iceberg lettuce principle. So you're kind of raised with parents. You're raised with a dad. And you kind of think the world is one way. And then when you hear about God, guess what you picture? Picture your parents, you picture your mom, you picture your dad. I call out dad specifically because God calls out dad specifically. Yes, he has the qualities of mother and father, but he calls himself God the father. There's something about being a parent and a father we naturally assume. And by the way, that's, that's really helpful and sometimes in helpful ways. Because if, if your dad, your mom and dad is patient and kind and honest and considerate, guess what you're going to think God is? Patient, kind, Honest, considerate. But uh, if your mom or dad is impossible to please, I can never please them. I'm never good enough. Guess what you're going to think? You're never good enough for God. That's what you, you're, it's the iceberg lettuce principle. If your parents lose control of their temper, feel kind of dangerous. Guess what you're going to think? God's about to lose control of his temper all the time. If your parents are helicopter parents, <laughs> Don't you dare give my baby girl an A-minus. If your parents are helicopter parents, you're going to think God will never let anything bad ever happen to you. And if your parents are disengaged, they're there, but when they're there, they're not really there. They're off on the internet or TV. Who knows what they're doing? But they're, they're not with you. You're going to think God is there, but not really engaged with you personally. So guess what? We naturally assume that God is like our parents. Or God's like our dad. So God is better than the best parent you could possibly imagine. So we're going to start looking at Joseph's life. And by the way, whatever family of origin you had, you're about to feel a lot better about your family. When we look at Joseph's family, I do believe if you shake any family tree hard enough, nuts fall out. And so you're going to, you're going to find out, oh my gosh, my family was really great. Cause Joseph's dad and Joseph's mom and Joseph's brothers, uh, we're going to see they're kind of messed up. And he followed God. God was with him. No matter what your background is, God can overcome that. So let's talk about Joseph's dad for a second. Joseph's dad struggled with manipulation. And we're going to be back in Genesis 27 if you want to follow along. But Genesis 27 is a great picture of Joseph's dad. What is manipulation? Well, manipulation is when you try to secretly control something or someone. But you don't want them to know you're controlling them. Manipulation. Joseph struggled with that. It's when using underhanded methods, 
scheming, clever, unscrupulous, unfair. That's manipulative, controlling, but no one knows. So by the way, if you have a parent, a dad who struggles with manipulation, guess what you might think? God is a manipulator. So let's talk about Joseph's dad named Jacob. His name means manipulator. That's his name. Schemer. That's what Jacob means. So when Jacob was born, he's born grabbing the heel of his older brother, Esau, his twin brother. And they pulled him out. And he's grabbing his brother's heel. They named him heel grabber, manipulator, schemer. He was a manipulator. He, he conned his older brother out of the birthright. One day his brother's super hungry. He's made this stew. His brother says, I'll do anything for stew. He says, well, sell me your birthright. Okay. Dumb move. But he manipulated his brother. He also manipulated his old, blind, dying father. How bad is that? Your blind, dying father. So here's the story. Genesis uh, 27, verse 1. Now it came to pass when Isaac, that's Joseph's grandpa, or Jacob's dad, when Jacob's dad was old and his eyes were so dim that he could not see. So the cataracts had built up in his eyes. He just could not. Everything's a fog now. Can't see anything. He's blind. That he called Esau, his older son, and said to him, My son. Now that's how I imagine him talking. It's either that or the godfather. I'm not sure which one. (laughs) My son. And he answered, Here I am. So Isaac's favorite of the twin boys, Isaac's favorite was the outdoorsman, the woodsy man's man named Esau. And so he's going to pass on this blessing to him. This is an amazing moment because God had given Abraham the blessing to pass on to the nations of the world, the gospel, the good news. And Abraham passed on to Isaac, that's the dad, this same blessing to pass on to the nations, the world, bless the new world with the gospel, the good news. Isaac about to pass that blessing to his older son Esau. But mom hears. Mom's favorite is the indoors person named Jacob. And she says, well, go in there and pretend to be Esau. And so mom's a manipulator. His son was trained to be a manipulator. So Jacob, so he's like, mom, his one concern is not being caught. He's not concerned with being caught or not being concerned with being wrong. He's concerned with being caught. Look what it says here in verse 11. Jacob said to his Rebecca, his mother, look, would you look at my face? Look at my neck. Look at my hands. Esau, my brother is a hairy man. And I'm a smooth skinned man. I hardly have to shave. I feel your pain, Jacob. I feel your pain. <laughs> Esau means hairy, by the way. So when Jacob was born, he was grabbing the heel. They said, that's a manipulator. Named a manipulator. When Esau was born, that baby was hairy. Like, look at all the Esau all over him. Means hairy. They named him Harry. I wonder if Esau might have looked like this. Here's a, here's a picture. Kind of, this is, well, there he is. Oh, yeah. That's a, that's a neck. If you can't mistake, mistake that. That's a, I mean, this is impressive. What's really embarrassing is my wife took a picture of me. That's me. No. No, it's not. I do want to pull out a comb, though, and kind of comb the neck here. But Esau, by the way, Esau, his, his neck and his hands were hairy. His blind dad could figure out that smooth person was not that. So mom's solution was put goat hair on him. So the next picture is goat hair. That she got actual goat hair and put it on his neck and on his hands. And he went in there and lied to his blind, dying father. How bad is that? Jacob struggled with manipulation. Genesis 27, verse 19 says... Jacob said to his father, here comes four lies. I am Esau. I'm, I'm Harry. Lie. You're firstborn. Lying to his blind father. I have done just as you told. 
lie. Just as you told me, lie. Please arise, sit and eat of my game that your soul may bless me. He didn't feel bad about the lie. He felt scared about being caught. So Jacob struggled with manipulation. And if you're raised with that, God is better than the best parent you can possibly imagine. He is better than the best parent you can possibly imagine. But if your dad struggles with manipulation, if your parent is a manipulator, guess what you might think? God's a manipulator. He's going to secretly try to underhandedly maneuver with manipulation. Okay, let's talk about his mom. So his mom. Mom struggled with insecurity. And now we're over in the three chapters later in chapter 30. We'll talk about Rachel. What is insecurity? Well, it's not being confident about yourself. You aren't enough. And we don't find our worth in ourselves. If you follow Jesus Christ as Savior, God designed you to find your worth in how God views you, who God is. That whatever you have, I don't have very much, I have a lot. That's enough. Whatever you are, I don't have this gift or that gift, that's enough. Why? Because God says I'm enough. I find my worth in Him. Insecurity is looking at yourself and feeling unease, nervousness, uncertain. I'm inferior. I'm not enough. And she had reason to. Let me tell you Rachel's background, his mom's background. So she was raised. There was two sisters. Uh, her older sister was named Leah. She had the good personality. And uh, Rachel was the hottie. She was given the looks. So Jacob took one look at her one day and went, Oh, I want to marry you. And so his future father-in-law was also manipulated. The manipulators eventually get manipulated themselves. Deceivers get deceived eventually. So he's hired by his future father-in-law to work for seven years for a dowry. He worked for seven years and Rachel's waiting for her wedding. Seven years she's waiting. And on the wedding night, her dad... Slips her older sister into the wedding room. He didn't notice till the next morning, and they're married. So he's like, how could you do this to me? And Rachel has to wait another seven years. She's waited seven years. Now she's waiting 14 years. And during those seven extra years, she sees her older sister build love, relationship, child after child after child, insecurity. What about me? Am I not enough? What about me? So at year 14, they finally get married. And she can't have kids. Verse 1, chapter 30, verse 1. When Rachel saw that she bore Jacob no children. I mean, she's, they're married now and she's not having kids. Rachel envied her sister. I mean, she's not enough. I'm not enough without kids. She said to Jacob, give me children or else I die. And Jacob's like, honey, you of all people know how hard I'm trying. Verse 3. So she said, here, here's my maid Bilhah. Go into her and she will bear a child on my knees that I also may have children by her. So what happens is Jacob marries the older sister unknowingly, Leah. Seven years later, she marries Rachel finally says, 14 years into it, she can't, I guess you're talking year 15, 16, she introduces her maid to get married so she can sort of speak, adopt. The maid becomes a wife, a lesser wife, a concubine wife, starts this baby arms race because they're not enough. Insecurity. You're not enough. God says you're enough. He, who he is and who you are, you are enough in Christ. No, 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 I gotta have this, that, I gotta be this, that to be something. I'm just insecure. And when you struggle with insecurity as a parent, guess what your child might think? God struggles with being insecure. 
I think God's insecure. So she, to her credit, by the way, she keeps praying. She does pray to the Lord, and the Lord finally hears her down in verse 22. Here comes Joseph. Then God remembered Rachel, and God listened to her. She is praying to the Lord of heaven and opened her womb. And that's the birth of Joseph. And when Joseph is born, she names Joseph. She names Joseph, Joseph, God will add. She has this sense that God has broken through, and she's going to have another child beyond that, which she does. But let's look at this entire family of origin. It's kind of one messed up. Here's Joseph's four moms, by the way. Joseph had four moms. Uh, and so this is kind of messed up. So, so Joseph's over here with the Technicolor dream coat. Um, so kind of think about these two ladies as, as Team Leah. And these are Team Rachel over here. Team Leah ends up with eight boys. Team Rachel with four boys. Here's how it happens. Team Leah, in those first seven years, four kids. Son, 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 son. She's dying. She finally gets married. No kids. Take my maid. Two sons. Oh yeah, take my maid. Two sons. Then she has two more sons and a daughter. And finally, Joseph is born. When you're, so this is kind of messed up because, you know, parents are cousins and then my goodness, what's going on? And so, so my aunt, who is your aunt? Well, that's my aunt Leah. She's also my stepmom. They're actually literal sister wives. They're sisters and wives. Oh, and my maid, that she's my stepmom. Did you have, how many moms did you have? I had four moms. I have my biological mom and three stepmoms, and one of them is my aunt. Dude, that is messed up. Don't you feel better now? You're like, man, my family is looking better right now. So if your dad struggles with manipulation and your mom struggles with insecurity, they all kind of did, what are, your, what are the sons going to deal with? They're going to deal with jealousy. And so that's what you see in the story. Joseph's brothers did struggle with jealousy. How could they not struggle with jealousy? Because there's jealousy among the parents. So they're passing on this jealousy is normal attitude. And so you jump over to Genesis 37 now. Now we're going to see the brothers. Now we're going to fast forward to Joseph being 17 years old. I'm not sure who here is 17, but the same age as this man, my man Joseph here. Uh, which means you're probably a high school junior or senior. That's what he is. He's like a high school junior or senior. Genesis 37, verse 2, they're struggling with jealousy. This is the history of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, okay, he's like a high school junior or senior, was feeding the flock with his brothers, but just four of his brothers, the, 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 the older stepbrothers of the two servant girls who became wives. And the lad was with the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah. His father's wives. And Joseph brought a bad report of them to his father. Now, I've read this verse over the years. I still can't figure out, was that a good idea or not? I have no idea. I can't tell if Joseph is a tattletale. Where, you know, you don't want a tattletale. Like, you don't need to be telling me about that. Or, that was a really smart idea. You're right. Playing with matches downstairs. Thank you for telling me. I'm not sure which one it is, but I think I was thinking about a great picture. God leaves it intentionally ambiguous because guess what? There are people around you. You're seeing actions right now and you're interpreting one way or the other. They're a tattletale. No, that's right. And you might be wrong. You better hold your opinions loosely because you don't know until you check it out with them. Do you believe the stories you make up about people based on actions you're seeing? I have no idea what to say about him. Who knows? Verse three. Now, Israel... 
Okay, now Jacob's name has been changed by God. A lot of times name changes represent heart changes. He wrestled with God. The name Israel means wrestling with God or prince of God. That's his dad. His dad is now following the Lord. He's broken. He's broken in healthy ways for the Lord. Now Israel loved Joseph more than all his children because he was the son of his old age. So there's so much, there's, there's more characteristics about Joseph that foreshadow Jesus Christ than any other character in the Old Testament. Here's one of them. It's, it's the son of his old age. God the Father is the ancient of days. His son, Jesus Christ, who he loves most of all. He, we brings, we're brought into that love. That's what you have a picture here of who Jesus is with God the Father. But then, Joseph's dad made him a tunic of many colors. Okay, so back in the day, this is pretty unusual. Like you'd have a solid color, you know, blues, grays, often browns. What, what shade of brown do you want for your tunic? Do you want mauve? Do you want tan? Do you want light brown? Do you want dark brown? Not Joseph. He gets many colors. I think we have a photo of Joseph. He looks like this. There we go. There's Joseph. That is Kramer from Seinfeld. And I don't think that the hat was worn by Joseph. But you can imagine, by the way, if you're wearing a, a funky jacket like this everybody would see how you're special how you're different and the brothers hated him by the way that's a picture of jesus christ too when jesus came to this world he came to love his brothers and how did the nation of israel respond they hated him he's a picture of christ you ever been hated by somebody before just hate they hate you you ever felt hate in your soul for somebody it says there in verse 4, but when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peaceably to him. What's it feel like when you hate, you can't stand them? You can't stand being around them? You can't stand the thought of them. You can't stand when someone brings up their name. You can't stand looking at a picture of them. You can't stand hearing good things about them. You can't stand being in their presence. Those brothers hated Joseph. Just like the religious leaders hated Jesus. Hated his guts. Wanted him dead. By the way, if you hate somebody and you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you are walking in darkness. The book of 1 John explains, you cannot hate your brother and be in the light. Hatred, 1 John says, is a seed of murder. It's a, it's a murderous heart. Even not acted out, it's a murder in your heart. Joseph's brothers struggled with envy, with jealousy. You know, God is better than the best parent you can possibly imagine. But here's our challenge. We naturally assume that God is like our parents and like our dad. I was with a guy uh, a couple weeks ago. Uh, we were doing coffee, and I was thinking about this message coming up. And I asked him two questions, which I'm going to ask you. Here's my first question for you. Would you describe God as your knee-jerk response, your default setting of how you view God, not informed by the Bible, not with teaching or how you've learned who God is, but what is your default setting? How would you describe God? I asked this guy, and he goes, well, um, I think, naturally, I think God's distant and disengaged. Not really engaged with me. I'll ask you the follow-up question. 
Could you describe your dad to me? Well, he's, he's distant and disengaged. Not really engaged with me. Here's the thing. There's strengths about his dad. He recognized there's weaknesses. We have to take hold. As believers in Christ, take hold. We have to capture thoughts we have and interrogate them and cast them down. They are lies about God. They're the iceberg lettuce thoughts that are living inside of us. And you say, that is not true. God is not disengaged. He is better than the best parent I can possibly imagine. Could it be your family of origins impacting how you view God? That's not who he is. So you see this, this truth about who God actually is all throughout the New Testament. And by the way, God does, allows flawed parents to raise kids because perfect parents would take the credit. Man, you're perfect. You did everything perfect. You always interacted right. You trained the right way. You are the man, the woman. Because we are flawed. God can give our kids glimpses of him without us taking any of the credit. And God makes up the gaps and shows who he is. We see that, see that in Matthew 7, verse 11. Matthew seven eleven. If you then being evil, he's talking to, to people. We are all sinners by nature, fallen nature, being evil. Know how to give good gifts to your children. Talk about parenting. Whether you did or not, you knew how to do it. How much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask Him? This is hope for every parent who ever feel like they messed up because God, as the perfect parent in heaven, cares more, gives more, loves more, and is active right now in trying to reach your kids if you feel two inches tall. This is, there is hope. There is hope. God wants to give good things to those who are his kids. John 1 and John 8. John 1 says you have to be born again into God's family. John 8 says until you're born again, you're still in the devil's family spiritually. God cares for his family. He tries to call people to adopt them out of the devil's family, his family. Hebrews chapter 10 or 12 talks about this. Hebrews 12 talks about discipline. For they, human parents, indeed for a few days, that's your whole childhood, Summarized, a few days. For a few days, chastened us as seemed best to them. Every parent is doing training and encouragement and coaching and discipline as seems best to them. But, here's our Heavenly Father, if you have Christ as Savior. But He, for always for our profit. It's for our profit. What's the profit? What's the benefit? Being changed like Christ on the inside. That we may be partakers of his character, of his holiness. See, God the Father does, as a good parent, discipline his kids. If you're a person who just does whatever you want, whenever you want, you know what's wrong, you don't really care, you never feel bad about it. Hebrews 12, those verses before that say it's evidence that you never received Christ in the first place. Parents discipline their own kids. And when other people's kids misbehave in stores, parents go... Not my kid. I want to help that kid, protect that kid, but that's not my role to discipline that child. God disciplines his kids. Do you ever experience God's loving discipline in your life? Go back to Romans chapter 8. This is a section I encourage you. I've been reading this, this recently. This verse 26 through 30 is amazing. All the things that God does for us. He, he 
translates our prayers. He prays the will of God. He foreknew us. He worked all things together for good. He foreknew us. He predestined us. He called us. He justified us. He glorified us. Verse 31. What shall we say to these things? Of all things that God is doing in those lives of his children. If God is for us, who can be against us? See, that's the reality. Based on all these things, God is for you more than any parent could ever be for their kids. You ever heard that defensive parent for their kids? That's my child. God is more for you than any parent you've ever possibly imagined. And he's doing all these things you see in the previous verses. Who can be against you if God is for you like that? He is better than the best parent you can possibly imagine. Verse 32, he who did not spare his own son, he gave his own son so you could be adopted into his family, but he delivered him up for us all. How? How shall he not with Jesus, with him, also freely give us all things? You don't give your son Jesus and then hold back other good things. God is better than the best parent you can possibly imagine. I'll end with this story. My name Jesse. Non-Christian family. Parents didn't show emotions. Never heard I love you till last year, especially her dad. Her dad never talked to her. But recently, they came to a visit. They were going back to the entrance gate at the airport. She took six pictures of them as they're leaving. As she reviewed the pictures, every single picture, her dad was always looking back at her. All six photos as they went off in the distance. And it hit her. My dad was watching me the whole time. I didn't know it. And she thought back to her love she had from this person, from her dad. All that love, here's her phrase, all that love he gave me over the years made me brave and fearless. And I think that's the picture of God the Father sometimes. He is watching you, that if you just slowed down, took the picture of him and kind of swiped the pictures, he is watching me, he is engaged with me, he loves me. As believers in Christ, we need to capture those thoughts our family of origin has given us and say, is this true about God or not? If not, Goodbye. If yes, thank you. And if you don't have Christ as Savior, please, 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 right now, give your life to Christ. Let's pray. God, we pray for both. That you would help us who have Christ as Savior capture those thoughts that are not honoring to you, not true about you, and cast them down and believe the truth about you, being the best parent we can possibly imagine. For those who need Christ, may they receive you right now. Thank you for listening to this week's message. If you have questions or would like to contact us for prayer, please email us at info at visitgracechurch.com. For more information about our ministries, location, and service times, go to visitgracechurch.com.